Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel, bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you will not hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he commanded in Ephesians 5.11. God states in his word that he would rise up ministries in the last days to do mighty exploits that would turn many to righteousness. Today's show is a message given by Pastor Joe Schimmel to his congregation at Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California. Now here with vital insights from God's word is pastor and author Joe Schimmel. There are many Christians with great intentions who are bringing their children up in Christian homes and even homeschooling them. But by and large, in many cases, their children don't come to know Jesus. And when they hit 18 years old, they're as lost as the kid down the street who never heard about Jesus. Or even more lost because they knew the truth and they turned away from it. It says it's worse to know and fall away than to have never known. This is serious stuff. It's really important that you introduce your children to Jesus, not to just facts, not to just, you know, academics, not to just reading and writing. You know what I taught? My wife has by far done, uh, by far most of the uh, homeschooling in our household. But some of the things that I've done uh, was, I was, it was my duty to teach the children to, to read. And you know what? That's an important thing to do. But you know what? I honestly, totally honestly, looked at that like, can't even put my fingers close enough together as important in comparison to teaching them about Jesus and them knowing Jesus. Do you understand that? Because there's, most people in the world that can read are going to hell, right? But there's people that never learn to read that are going to heaven. Which would you rather your child be? Amen? Now, it's not an either-or situation. Teach them to read so they can read the word, amen, and get to know Jesus better. And reading is important. Academics are important. You know, uh, I want my children to be successful in, you know, the way they live in this world and, and know how to read and write and do math and those things. Those things are important. And, and in homeschooling, kids have a boost up in a lot of ways in the, those areas. But we all, I always teach the congregation, and we've never had division in our church that I know of between homeschoolers and public schoolers and, and private schoolers and charter schoolers and because we teach here, everybody should be homeschooling, whether, not that you have to homeschool and be at, have your kid at home instead of a private or public school, but everybody in the fellowship should be teaching their children at home too, amen? Whether you have your children in public, private, or strictly homeschooled, amen? So we're all called to be homeschoolers. Some people can't do it for one reason or another. So we don't, we're not legalistic on this point. But the whole end of homeschooling, for me, just being honest with you, some think, oh, it's so your kids will have greater academics at home. And so I've heard that before. What about the socialization? I say, well, actually, my biggest concern is socialization, not academics, because I don't want them to be socialized by the world. And sometimes we can't always curtail those influences, but sometimes we can, amen? I want them to be socialized by people that love Jesus, not by a school system either that would hinder them from coming to Jesus and saying that they are the result of a big mistake, of a big bang. By the way, did you ever think if everything came from nothing and there was a big bang, where did all the material stuff come from, right? doesn't make any sense. So it's important that we emphasize coming to Jesus to our children. I, I can't tell you, I probably have 20 books, 25 maybe, I don't know, I haven't counted in, in ages, on 
child training. But one of my favorite books among those book, books was called by a guy named Tripp. Can't remember his first name offhand. But it was called Shepherd of the Child's Heart, I believe. And I like that book because he spent a lot of time about your kids need to know Jesus. And I praise God there's not just one book because, you know, that book, other books were better in other areas. But I thought, this is parents need to so know that, need to so be into bringing their children to Jesus, amen? And not keeping them from the kingdom. We can now kind of hone in a little bit more on God's heart toward children because he wants to bless them. And, you know, the Bible says God's a father to the fatherless, amen? I mean, he's got a big job. Could we all agree to that? Billions of people on the planet, right? And it's not just people. There's 8 million species. 8 million species. Think about that. There may be more, there may be less. That's one of the estimates I just read recently. By the way, you know of those 8 million species, almost every one of them has a male and female counterpart. By the way, let's say you evolved by yourself as a human. You're the part of that human species, right? You evolved by yourself. Somehow you just eked out of the ground and here you are. And you have a metabolism, a brain, all these different things. How are you going to continue living? You're not. You're going to have to what? Pro what? Procreate. How are you going to procreate? You're going to need what? You're going to need a female close by that just has an anatomy that's perfect for you to procreate with. What a incredible coincidence. That woman evolved right next to a man. Somehow they existed long enough and somehow they were attracted to each other instead of repelled and didn't eat each other. But you need eight billion of these coincidences. Or eight million. You need eight million coincidences, right? Grasshopper, male. Oh, there's a female next to me. Oh, and I'm attracted to her. Man, a lot of coincidences. I'm sorry, I don't know why I get off on that stuff. It just kind of trips me out. When pe that people believe that, it just blows me away. So God's heart is to bless. Amen? He wants us to be a blessing. He wants us to be an encouragement. And he wants to bless our children. Now, look at verse, go back to Mark. Mark chapter 10. And we go to verse 14 again. And this is interesting because in chapter 10, verse 14, I love this. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. They're of the kingdom. They belong to the kingdom. Now that's important to know why. Because we need to understand that children belong to the kingdom of God. A lot of people believe that, unfortunately, Roman Catholics, one of the biggest religions on the planet, they believe if children die without being baptized, they go to limbo. They go to a place of suffering. Some Christians believe that. Look at Matthew chapter 18. And when you get there, go ahead and look at uh, verse 10. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So these children have angels, right? That always hope you hold the face of the Father. Verse 11, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Verse 12, what do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is strained? Verse 13, if it turns out that he finds it true, I say to you, by the way, right here it says, if it turns out, it may not turn out that way because some sheep don't want to be found. If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99, which had not gone astray. 
Verse 14. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones, what? Perish. What's God's heart for the, toward the children? For of such is the what? The kingdom of God. And it's not the Father's will that even what? One of them perish. Which contradicts uh, Augustine. He was the primary Roman Catholic theologian. You had the in the first three centuries of church history, you had the first century Jesus and his apostles. The latter part of that century, you had, you know, uh, Clement of Rome, a disciple of Paul's. You had, you know, Polycarp, a disciple of the apostle John. We have some of their writings and the disciples of, their disciples like Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, his writings. And then you have the church fathers for the next, you know, two centuries, the early church fathers, three centuries. We call them the anti-Nicene fathers, Nicene means, speaks of the Council of Nicaea, a Roman, a Roman Catholic uh, council. But when we talk about anti-Nicene, the early church fathers, we're talking about the church fathers before the Roman Catholic church was birthed. Some say, oh, I'm Catholic, and we go way back. Well, no, the Roman Catholic church goes back to the fourth century. Constantine, the Roman ruler, wanted to wed Christianity with Roman politics and with his rule, and out came Catholicism. That's why when you look down through history, the Roman Catholic Church is tied to kings and, and leaders and crusades and political power. The early church was not political. So the first three centuries, you have the Antichrist's father. Within the fourth century, and he taught in the fourth century, latter part of the fourth, and into the fifth century, you have Augustine. Augustine came up with all kinds of different heresies that influenced the Roman Catholic Church. But one of his teachings was the idea of limbo, that children that were not baptized in the Roman Catholic Church were damned. Because he taught that a concept of original sin that also meant not just a transference of a sinful nature, which the Bible does teach we have a sinful nature that we inherit from our, our parents. But he taught also they shared in the parents' guilt, that the guilt was passed on. So kids were damned, and that baptism regenerated them and makes you born again. And when babies are baptized in the Roman Catholic Church, they're born again and their sins are cleansed. Therefore, they won't go to hell. And then he taught to convert people, go out and preach the word of the Roman Catholic Church. And if they don't listen to you, Jesus said, compel them to come in. Jesus said to compel them, but we compel them by persuading them with the word of God. He said what Jesus meant was to use the sword and kill them if they don't listen. And the inquisitions, crusades and stuff, or hangovers from that, those teachings by Augustine. But Augustine also taught a rigid form of predestination and that everybody is predestined. You're either predestined to salvation or you don't have a chance to be saved. And so he taught these babies were not predestined to be saved if they're outside the Roman Catholic Church and they go to limbo and be damned. And limbo wasn't hell itself, but was like hell, a place of eternal separation from God. Fast forward a thousand years, you see. And in the 1500s, you had the rise of uh, the Reformation under Luther, but then you had a man a little bit after Luther had done most of his reforming uh, named John Calvin, who says if he could systemize, if he systemized his doctrine, it would basically be Augustine's teaching, okay? And he taught the same view of predestination. And he taught you either predestined to salvation, actually even stronger, or predestined to hell, and he taught that babies, children, were hateful to God. He uses the term odious or hateful in the French. If they're not elect children, they're not elect children, they're hateful to God, and they don't go to 
Purgatory, they go to hell. They don't go to limbo, they go to hell. Purgatory and limbo are different in Catholicism. And so that was a teaching that was very, very strong with certain people during the Reformation. It was strong going back to Roman Catholicism. And on both counts, it was false. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God's heart toward the children is what? To bless them, amen? And now we read, Jesus said, of these children, of such is the kingdom of God, amen? And what does Jesus say of the children right here in verse 14? So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones, what? Perish. You see, your theology matters. What you think of God will have the biggest impact on how you live your life. What you think of God and who you think he is will have the greatest impact on your decisions and how you live your life. That's why theology is so important. And if you believe that children are hateful to God, it's probably going to affect the way you look at children. You're listening to The Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how they relate to family, culture, and the church. If you'd like to learn more about our life-changing resources, such as They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll and The Submerging Church, check out our website at goodfightradio.org. God wants us to see how he looks at children and wants us to treat children the way he wants them to be treated. Amen? Disciples are pushing these children away. They're pushing the adults that are bringing them away, saying, get out of here. And Jesus is indignant with them. Do not, or he says, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. And here we see, so it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. I love that. That shows me that my Father in heaven wants all three of my children to be saved. Amen? If you have children, he doesn't want one of your children to perish. Aren't you glad to hear that? I remember reading John Piper. And John Piper has some really good things. But he follows John Calvin. And he says when he goes and would say goodnight to his boys, he would just hope that God chose him for salvation and not damnation. But he couldn't be sure. He couldn't be sure what God chose for them, salvation or damnation. And I thought, how sad the poor guy has to go to bed wondering if God wants to damn his kids or not. You know what I'm saying? Just wrenches my heart. And that's going to affect how you present God to the people, the lost. And of course, a lot of people that believe that, when they preach, it doesn't always come out. And they make it sound like, well, really, God wants to save all people sometimes. But really, the theology says he's decreed most people to be damned. You need to know in your heart that you have no, no misgivings at all, no confusion on this matter. I mean, you can circle that in your Bible. You can put a little and just memorize that verse maybe because this is directed specifically. I know there's other scriptures like this, right? God wills that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, right? 1 Timothy 2.4. God doesn't will that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9, right? Beautiful verses. But this verse right here, I love it. You know Why? And this isn't the one I quote the most often, but I love this verse because it's directed at the children. And what's interesting here is these are kids being brought up to him. He doesn't just, he doesn't say, you know what? Let the kids come to me because, you know, you know, God wants, I want to bless a couple of them, but you know what? God wills a couple of these guys don't perish. Then you'd be like, "Uh uh-oh, hope he meant my kid, right? But you don't have to wonder. And you know what? Guess what? Were you a kid? Who said no? <laughs> Mark, you weren't a kid. You know what? The cool thing to know, Mark, is even when you were a kid, as mischievous as you were, 
But even if you were a mischievous kid, Mark, you would be one of the ones that Jesus said, let the little children come to me, that he'd bring up to bless them. Amen? Praise God. And one of the kids of which Jesus spoke, right here in verse 14, so it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these ones perish. Guess what? Do you think God's heart changed when you hit 10, 12, 15? No, because he says he wills that all be saved. Come knowledge of truth. He's not one that any would perish of adults too, right? That's, we've got an awesome God. And what's cool is that each of these kids, verse 10, has angels that are always beholding the face of the Father, right? God's for you. That's good news. He's full of mercy and grace toward you. He loves you. But he's serious about following him. And as long as we're serious in our hearts and we want to follow him, we can't, we have, can't merit our salvation. We just put our trust in Jesus and we're saved. Amen? As soon as there's that repentant faith where we say, Jesus, you're first. It's awesome. Now, let's go back to Mark chapter 10, verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, I like this too, that the kingdom of God belongs to such as me. And I don't want you to be confused on the doctrine of original sin, okay? Because we believe in original sin at Blessed Hope Chapel, but not in the way that the Roman Catholic Church teaches it. Not in the way that some of the reformers taught it. We believe in original sin, like the psalmist David says in Psalm 51.5. He says, I was conceived in sin. He was. He says, children, children go astray. They're, they're strange, you know, and they go astray from their mother's womb. Job talks about how children come forth from the womb lying. There's that sinful nature. And if you don't believe that children are sinful, you haven't worked in nursery lately right? They are self-absorbed and selfish and violent when they don't get their way at times. Not my grandson. He's the only... No, I'm just kidding. Probably going to be one of the worst. God help him. God help the kids around him. He's a sweetheart, but he's got that sinful nature too, I'm sure, you know. I've seen it already. So we do inherit sin, no doubt about it. But when we talk about original sin, it's different than the way the Roman Catholic Church talks about it. We don't have the Roman Catholic view. They teach that original sin entails not just the transmission of a sinful nature, but that it also brings the transmission of guilt. Do you understand that? That children are guilty of sin and deserve to be damned. And if they die before they turn to Jesus or are baptized, they will be damned. Many professing Christians believe in original uh, sin in the way they believe that the guilt is also transferred. But if you believe the guilt is transferred and the child is guilty of sin, then you really can't believe in the age of accountability. Do you understand that? We believe in this fellowship, and praise God, there are many churches that agree with us, thousands and thousands and thousands, many evangelicals, and I believe it's because it's scriptural, not just intuitive. Many believe that there's an age of accountability, that although children are born with sinful natures, they're not held accountable for that sin and guilty of that sin until they reach a, an awareness of what sin is and they become accountable before God. That is biblical. In fact, go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Do you remember when David had fallen into adultery? It just pretty much destroyed his family. Even though God had forgiven him, there were huge repercussions uh, on, on, on his family, on his own health. It didn't, but God forgave him when he repented and got right with God. And that's when he said, I was conceived in sin. But you know, 2 Samuel chapter 12, 
What's interesting about this is David, after his child is born to Bathsheba, who he committed adultery with, the child, he's very concerned that it's going to die. And he begins to fast and pray and seek God, please. He's so sorry for his sin and, you know, and, and what happened and what have you. And, and then we read in verse 21 that his child, well, his child dies. And then all of a sudden he's not weeping anymore and fasting. And those around him are like, what's up with David? You know, he should be mourning. This is a serious thing and praying and fasting or what have you. But if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 21, then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when he, the child died, you arose and ate food? He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Well, he can't, right? But look what he says. I will go what? To him, but he will not return to me. David would be with his child in the future. That child was not being held accountable for David's sin and being sent to hell. David knew in the future that he'd be able to be with his child. Children are not, when they die young, before the age of accountability, going into, into uh, at those days, they would go into Abraham's bosom, I believe. Uh, not necessarily, though. But since it says no one has yet ascended to heaven, it seems likely that that's where they would have gone. And since David says, I'll go be with my child, and David was going to Abraham's bosom, I think that's the deal right there. What about the children of Israel when they were sitting on the way to the uh, promised land? How many adults went into the promised land? Do you remember? How many people actually made it? Two. Who were they? Come on, we all know that. You teach it in Sunday school. Joshua and who? And Caleb, right? Okay, go to Deuteronomy chapter one. And I'm just gonna share one verse on this because there's many to back it up. But do you know that oh, thousands and tens of thousands and you know hundreds of thousands perhaps went into the promised land, but they were children when God pronounced judgment that their parents would not enter into the promised land. But if you read why, Deuteronomy chapter one, go ahead and look at verse... Uh, 29. 39. What did I say? Oh, I said 29. Ah, I wrote down a two instead of a three. Moreover, your little ones, check it out, who you said would become a prey and your sons who this day have no knowledge of good or evil shall what? Shall enter or go in there and I will give it to them and they shall possess it. Wait, what does he mean? Your little ones who said, you know, it would become a prey, your sons uh, who this day have no knowledge of good or evil. They don't know the difference between good or evil. They want their way, they get it, they do things that are wrong based on God's law, but they don't understand. It hasn't come to fruition in their consciousness enough to whereby they're condemned. And that seems just and right of a, of a righteous and just God, amen? Don't, wouldn't we agree with that? You've been listening to pastor and author Joe Schimmel on the Good Fight Radio Show. Be sure to tune in next week at the same time for the continuation of this important message. To learn more about Good Fight Ministries, please visit goodfightradio.org, where we feature many eye-popping and life-changing resources on DVD and CD, as well as an archive of previously aired shows. You can visit our podcast page at goodfightradio.org to find many of Pastor Joe's full Sunday morning teachings. 
If you've been blessed by this show and would like to share this blessing with others, you can help support our ministry by visiting our donate page also at goodfightradio.org. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We thank you for tuning in. Join us next time on the Good Fight Radio Show. Life, it comes down to just one thing.